Well, good morning, Northridge. Thank you. Man, it's so good to be this morning. My name is Chris Crutchley. I'm the campus pastor at our regional campus in Brighton. And if you are new to Northridge, we are one church in four locations. And so this morning, streaming with us, uh, Grocille, Celine, and to all my family in Brighton, good morning. Man, we are so glad that you're here with us. And if you are new to Brighton this week, man, would you do me the honor and the privilege of coming back next week? I would love to meet you and your family. Uh, Thanks so much for being a part of what God is doing out at Northridge Brighton. And if you're watching online today, man, thanks for joining us wherever you are in the world. Man, it is an honor to be with you today. Uh, So if you don't know, um, I am still relatively new to Michigan. My family and I, we moved here in December of 2016. Uh, We experienced our first winter, which I hear uh, was very mild and easy, Uh, but I feel like this year we've kind of caught up to what a true winter might be. Uh, Is maybe correct? Would someone agree with me? Yeah, we're good, Uh, because I I feel like we've had a lot of snow, you know, it's been really fun. Uh, But I want to tell you something a little weird about me, um, because it's going to lead into a story that I feel like God has kind of uh, laid upon me to share with you. I'll be honest with you. I I love yard work. And coming from the south, you know, when winter time hits, uh, your yard turns brown and there's no need to do any yard work because it's just blah. But here in Michigan, you know, we get this stuff called snow and it feels like I get to do yard work year round and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm the only one, right? I mean, I love, I, lo- I love like taking care of the snow, you know? It's like it's something to do. It's in the winter, you know? It's, it's something that you get to see completed. You get to see, like, pathways. You get to see your walkways clean, your driveways clean. I don't know. It's weird. But let me tell you a story about snow and what happened to me this year, um, and let's see where God takes it. And so it was just before, di- uh, just before di- dinner, uh, Christmas, and we'd gotten a, a decent amount of snow, enough to where I felt it was necessary to use a snowblower. And so I got my snowblower out, and I did my driveway first, then I cleared off my sidewalk, and I, I live on a house that's on the corner, and so my sidewalk kind of wraps around my house and then goes beyond my house, down my backyard, and then into my neighbor's house, and so it's a pretty long sidewalk, and so I'd finish my driveway, I'm doing my sidewalk, just kind of minding my own business, you know, like having the time of my life, uh, you know, clearing snow, you know, thinking about all the neighbors who are going to walk without creating ice when they stomp on it, you know, it's going to be really nice. I mean, I'm, you know, cleaning it, you know, cleaning it all the way down my sidewalk, and I'm now facing my, my neighbor's house in their driveway, and then something happens. Uh, I watch this kind of unfold. I watch their garage door open, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're, you know, they're, maybe they're coming out to do their driveway. And out of their driveway backs a car, and uh, no big deal, but what I did notice of this situation was that the snow was high enough that their car coming out of the garage acted as a plow, Kind of like, you know, like it was that high where it was like pushing the snow, not all of it, but pushing some of it. And they backed out of their driveway and they took off, shut the garage. And I, I kind of stopped in my tracks for a minute, kind of thought, hmm, I mean, their driveway's always clean. They usually get to theirs before mine, you know, and a lot of times they've done a partial of my sidewalk, which I'm always grateful for. Um, but this day I stopped and kind of watched, man, they must have been in a hurry. And, you know, I, I, I've learned that you don't drive on the snow in your driveway because it creates ice. And that never comes up until, you know, like, it, it, I think it defrosts in May, maybe. Um, and so I watch them do this, and, and as I'm watching, you know, they leave, this little nudge stirs in me. This little voice. It's like God was asking me to do something. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's up, God, you know? He's like, 
go take care of their driveway, go clean it. I'm like, yeah, I sure will. You know, I got a snowblower, you know, like what, what else I gotta do? So I, I'm, you know, walking down my, you know, like three mile long uh, sidewalk, um, it's not that long, it just feels like it. Um, I'm walking down my sidewalk, approaching, you know, where their sidewalk begins into their driveway and something happens. Like something changes in me, something shifts. And it's in that moment my good intentions are immediately met with fear. With fear. And there are all types of fear in the world, and some good, some bad. There's fear abundance. But today, the fear I'm talking about is that feeling of anxiety you get concerning the outcome of something. Immediately, my intentions of doing something good were met with fear, and fear began to seize control of my thoughts. It began to take captive my mind, and that's what fear does. It, it takes captive of your mind, and it, it removes the ability to think rationally. And all of a sudden, as I stand on my sidewalk, which probably seems like 30 minutes, because people are probably driving by, like, that guy's just standing there, a raging war is going on in my mind. This good intention is now being met with, but what if they don't want you to clean off their driveway, Chris? What if they don't want you to snowblow their driveway? What if, what if snowblowers actually mess up your driveway and they would rather shovel it? Said no one, but my brain did. <laughs> you know, Chris, what happens if you're snowblowing their driveway and you go a little too far into the grass and you mess up an edge of the grass? What if they get angry or mad at you? And this is what my mind began to become consumed with. And I wonder if you've ever felt the captive power of fear. Let me give you just some simple, uh, maybe illustrations, maybe connect you to what I'm feeling. Have you ever had your phone ring, and when your phone rings, most of us pick it up naturally and look at it, but this time it's your boss calling. Usually you would just swipe an answer, but this time your boss was like, hmm, I wonder what they're calling for. Oh gosh, did I do something wrong? Man, what did I forget? We immediately begin going through this scenario of, I mean, what did I do? Why are they calling me, right? You know, like, we can't just be getting a phone call. Or, or maybe this, have you ever experienced this? And for some of you, uh, maybe you've never experienced this. I would say for maybe the ladies, at least my wife does this. Um, have you ever had the doorbell ring? And within about 30 seconds of the doorbell ringing, you have an escape plan already produced in your head for the potential robber at your front door. You're laughing, so I'm hoping you're on the same page with me. That's what we do. Like, we don't expect our doorbell to ring, and when it does, it can't be anything good. So my mind immediately begins to race with, okay, how do we get the kids out? Where's the back door? Is it unlocked? You know, I begin walking through this, and I want you to know, listen, the reason we do this is because times have changed. Cultures change. When someone rings our doorbell, that's not normal anymore. And I want you to see a, a funny clip, a video, of how times have changed in our doorbell. Watch this. I was sitting in my house a couple weeks ago, just relaxing. My doorbell rang. This is weird. It's a different feeling when your doorbell rings today opposed to 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, your doorbell rang? That was a happy moment in your house. It's called company. The whole family went to the door. The kids were in socks. They slid up to the door. 
Nobody looked to see who it was. Right, you just opened up the door. You were like, oh my, look at that. Look at who's here. And the person would be like, I was in the neighborhood. I thought I might stop by, see how the kids are doing. They're like, oh, come on in. We're gonna have some cake. Your mother had a little Anthemans. Maybe some Sara Lee crumble cake. Just in case company came over. She made an announcement when she bought it. She's like, listen, nobody touched this cake. This is for company only. Those crap muffins, those are for you people. You better hope to God somebody comes over so we could cut the cake. Put her cake in the middle of the table, proud of it. And right, she put it right in the middle. Cut yourself a slice. My cup of coffee. We're gonna do. Co want some Sanka? Yeah, that's old school. A lot of the young kids are looking at me like, "What is that? An iPhone app?" Your mother had a tin, brown and orange tin of Sanka ready to go just in case the company. She put a big pot on the table. Go ahead. Nobody had a cell phone back then. If your, cell, if, your, if, your, if your house phone did ring, your father stood up and said, nobody get that phone. We got company. <laughs> and you lost track of time. Two hours went by. You were like, we got to get out of here. That's okay. Next time we're going to come by you. Be like, yeah, my door's always open. Now your doorbell rings. It's like, what the? All right, your own mother's crawling across the kitchen floor. Get down my army crawl. Army crawl, get in the closet. Go get the sword in the living room. Somebody get the sword underneath the couch in the living room. There's a sword. So, so times have changed. And, and what happened was when the doorbell rang, they were met with fear. That anxiety you get concerning an outcome. And I would be interested to know, man, have you ever felt that? If you have, you have met fear. You have met it. And when fear shows itself, man, it captivates our mind. It controls our thought and it begins to paralyze and, and seize us. And everything that we think is rational evaporates. That's the control of fear. See, for me, I was simply snowballing a driveway Good intentions were met and overcome with fear. And I'll be honest with you, I want to take it one step farther. In this moment, it was like a, a, a switch was flipped. Uh, in the, in, the, in the, the video, you just watched a doorbell ring, and it was an immediate switch for me. My fear of man became greater than my fear of God. 
It was, as if in that, it was as if in that moment, my fear of what my neighbors might think of me became greater than my desire to be obedient to what God was asking me to do. Church, I want you to get this one truth today. If you forget everything I say, don't forget this. You will always obey what you fear. You will always obey what you fear. And so I wanna walk you through a story today that happened in history. Um, it happened a long time ago in history. In fact, it's a story of uh, the first uh, created people, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve um, have this experience. And the blessing that we have in the Bible is that we get to see it through its completion. And my hope today is as we walk through their story, we're gonna see some things that happen in their life and what fear does to them. And my hope is, is that as we dialogue and go through this together, that you will be able to easily identify fear to keep you from falling into the fear of man. Or, or if you're living in fear, maybe today you can find a way out. And so if you would join me in the book of Genesis, chapter three. And if you're new to the Bible or new to Northridge, uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And there's big numbers that kind of list out chapters. And so we'll be in chapter three, and we're gonna read uh, quite a bit of the story. So um, we find Adam and Eve in the garden. The garden is this place that God has created. It's perfection. Um, it's everything you could dream of. Everything they need is there. And they've been given one simple rule, and the rule is do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we'll, we'll jump in at verse one. It says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did, he really, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that if you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then, then, if you would, if you have your Bibles, man, I'd love for you to circle, highlight, if you're on a tablet or a phone, uh, click it, highlight it, highlight the word then as I did in my Bible. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized, highlight, underline, they realized. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then they realized. What they realized in this moment is what other people think of me matters to me. See, fear of man entered the world at this moment. You notice the first question or the first thought they had was not, what is God gonna think? No, their first thought was, you see me differently. And this is the fear of man. In fact, in Proverbs 29, 25, it says it this way. It says, the fear of man lays a snare. Whoever trusts in God or trusts in the Lord is safe. 
The Bible describes the fear of man as a snare. A snare in Hebrew was kind of the generalization of a word for trap, like what hunters would use to trap um, small animals or animals. And this trap would be used by like setting a lock and it would catch an, an, an ankle or a foot or a head and it would grip and grab and sometimes a potentially deathly grip. Like what we're being set up to understand is, is that fear of man is a dangerous thing. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve have stepped into, fear of man. For us, I want you to kind of get an image of what the fear of man is. The fear of man um, has the potential to immobilize you when you should act. The fear of man has the potential to immobilize you, to stop you dead in your tracks when you should be taking action to do something. Maybe it's be obedient what God has asked you to do, but the fear of man steps in and we start questioning what will they think of me? What will they say? How will they feel? And we stop. The fear of man has the potential to immobilize us when we should take action. The fear of man has the potential, the ability to silence us when we should speak, when we should say an encouraging word or maybe share a story about what God is doing in our life or maybe even share something we read in the Bible. The fear of man has the potential to silence you well, they might not believe what I believe. Or, you know, I don't wanna offend them. And the fear of man is powerful, but its power is deceptive. It's a trap. And I believe there's a ton of us, there's lots of us, especially in this uh, culture that we live in in America, that we actually fail to do good. We often fail to do good, whatever that means, snowballing someone's driveway or serving our neighbor or loving our neighbor or helping someone. We fail to do good because we have simply placed our fear in the wrong hands. You know, it was once said that the person that you fear the most is the person who has the most authority over your life. The person that you fear the most has the most authority to define who you are. They have the authority to tell you what you're worth. They have the authority to tell you what you should and should not do. The person who you fear the most has the authority to speak the loudest over your life. But you know, just as much as we can place our fear in the wrong hands? The Bible teaches us that we can place our fear in the right hands. In Deuteronomy 10, it says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good. Just as much as we can place our fear in the, the wrong hands, in the fear of man, which is a trap, we can also place our fear in the right hands, which is to fear God and to trust in him and to do what he's asked us to do. And this fear of God is maybe an act of trust that, and I believe in who you are, who you say you are. I believe in what you've done and what you've done for me and for everyone here. Like this is the, the fear of God. It's an act of trust and obedience to who he says he is and, and what we should do in obedience to what he asks us to do. But for a lot of us, we, we, 
we fail because we've placed our fear in the wrong hands. And this is what Adam and Eve do. They, they fall into the trap, and the trap for them is, who do you fear? Who do you fear? You know, once they were trapped, everything began to change. You know, the fear of man begins to affect our choices. It begins to uh, change our perspective and it ultimately changes the course of our life. Like fear of man has the ability to shift the course of our life. And so there's three things that Adam and Eve experience. They do after they've fallen in the trap. And I want to walk you through those three things so that we can maybe see, am I living in the trap of the fear of man, that snare? Or maybe I'm seeing it and I can stay away from it. So the, the three things, the first one is this. You, you can know that you're in the trap or you're about to fall into the trap when you begin living a false reality. A false reality is when you start thinking thoughts as, well, what will they think of me? What if they knew? We, we can all acknowledge today that the what if game is dangerous. We all can acknowledge that when we start asking the questions of what if, man, everything begins to change. But this is exactly what the false reality looks like. Our perspective begins to shift. Our choices begin to change. And our life actually begins to become chaos. Because everything has shifted through this false reality. I wanna give you a, a, a story, a, a song that was written by a band, it's about 10 years ago, and it's a story of a person walking into a church. And I want you to listen to this story, this song that I'm gonna to read to you, and I want you to listen for the false reality. You'll, you'll hear it loud and clear. It says, is there anyone who's been there? Are there any hands raised? Am I the only one who's traded the altar for a stage? The performance is convincing and we know every line by heart. Only when no one is watching can we really fall apart. But would it set me free if I dared to let you see the truth behind the curtain or the person that you imagined me to be? Or would your eyes be open or would you walk away? Would the love of Jesus be enough to make you stay? Is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I'll play the part again so everyone will see me the way that I see them. This is a false reality. This is living in a false reality. Everything has changed. Living a life off course. This person is literally looking at everyone saying they're all better than me and man, I feel so fake but if I be real, will they listen, will they love? And so I'll just continue being fake. So with a painted grin, I'll play the part again. What does this look for us? You know, maybe if you're a parent in here, do you parent your children out of fear? Maybe you have this, this deep fear that your kids will one day not like you. 
And because you're parenting out of this fear, you're compromising, I don't know, uh, peace and comfort rather than the difficult conversations of leading your children. Maybe you're here and you've struggled with friendships, or maybe you have a few friendships, but you, you fear losing them. And so out of that fear, you begin to make choices. You begin to choose to keep the peace, to keep everything surface level, because you don't wanna you know, go too far and push someone away, or you don't wanna say something and offend them, so you just you simply exist in this surface level of friendship. Is your marriage not up to par what you think it should be? Do you have this fear that your marriage is not as good as it's supposed to be? So the choices that you make is to always present your marriage as it's great, it's wonderful, because you cannot let anyone close enough to see that it's different, that it's not what you think it should be. You, you have this fear, and because of the fear, your choices change. Because of the fear, your course of life changes. Because of fear, your reality is false. This is the first thing that we see. When you can identify, I'm living in the trap of fear of man. I'm living in a false reality. The second thing is this, you desire to hide. The first is you live in a false reality. The second is you desire to hide. Listen to what it says, we'll continue the story. In verse eight of chapter three, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve hid. Up until this moment, God had done nothing that would ever make Adam desire to hide. But now fear was present. And, and hiding and retreating was a natural response to their false reality. The false reality of he can't see us this way, no one can see us this way, which was now a, a new normal. It was a false reality from them because of their disobedience. It was the trap that they were caught in. Uh, for me, I mean, like the simple task of doing a snowblower and cleaning up someone's driveway was met with this overcoming desire to retreat to run back to my garage, put my snowblower up, and say, oh, no big deal. I mean, if I don't do it, it's not the end of the world. I mean, like, that's the desire within us when we're living in this false reality. When we have this desire to hide, we're, we're living with the fear of man, not the fear of God. And the third thing is this. You desire to blame. You desire to blame. Listen to how the story continues. In verse 11, it says this, and he said, God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. Um, men. <laughs> Just a, a quick side note. Don't ever say that. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Blame is the third symptom, the third sign that they had become slaves to fear. They were trapped 
literally bound, enslaved to fear, and we see three things roll from their life. We see them begin living in a false reality. We see them have the desire to hide, and now we see them blaming. Listen, if you're here today and you have the desire to blame. Listen, if it wasn't for this or that or them or this person, then I wouldn't be here today. Or it wouldn't be like this. Or you know, it's not my fault, I didn't do anything wrong, it's their fault. If you find yourself stepping into this role of blame, you can begin identifying maybe, just maybe, I'm in the trap. And so what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in this place? How do you get free? And maybe you're here today and you're like, Chris, you know, your stories of fear are very trivial. And yes, they are. Maybe you're here today and you're like, listen, the fear that I live with on a daily basis happened when I was a child or happened early in my marriage or happened a long time ago in college or my first job. And I've been living in fear. And yes, all three things that you define, you explain, I live in those constantly. I want you to know that the application I'm about to share, I believe, is useful regardless from the trivial fear or the fear that you've been walking in for the longest of times. The slight difference may be this. If you've been living in a life of fear, the three application points I'm gonna give you, maybe you have to do them often. In just a moment as I walk through them, I'm gonna show you this is something that I do often. It's not something that's a once and done. It's not a, okay, I'm good, I did it. No, this is something that I have to constantly come back to. But before we get into the application, I, I wanna leave the story at an end with some hope. Maybe you're here today and you are new, or maybe you're here today and you're like, yes, I'm living a life of fear and I want out. The first step, apart from the application, that everyone must understand is that God desires to free you from your fear. He desires to uh, set you free from being a slave to fear. He wants to release you from the trap. And we know this because in the end of chapter three, um, we, you can read this on your own. I'd love for you to read this whole story. But in verse 21, it says this. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What's unique about this portion that sometimes we often skip over is that this is a image of what's to come. You see, in the Old Testament, what we, what we realize and understand is that there had to be an animal sacrifice. Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. For sin to be forgiven, an animal had to die. Blood had to be shed for a person to be forgiven. What we see God do early in Genesis is we see him make clothing out of skin. God had to kill an animal to make those skin coverings. God refused to leave Adam and Eve where they were. He wanted to bring redemption. He wanted to bring healing. He wanted to restore. And this was a, a picture of what God was going to eventually do through Jesus. If you're here today and you're living in a life of fear and you've never taken the step to trust in Jesus, the one who was the ultimate sacrifice, the one who died on a cross and shed his blood so that all could be forgiven. I wanna invite you today to place your trust in him. It's really simple. 
It's a, it's a prayer of acknowledgement. It's a prayer of confession. Hey, God, you know, I've sinned. I'm living in a life of fear, and I need your help. And so I want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads with me. And if you're here today and you want to take this step in trusting in Jesus, simply take my words as this prayer and make them your own to God. Just pray this. Dear Jesus, I'm living a life of fear, and I want to be free from it. Uh, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe you are God's son. Would you forgive me? I place my life in the care and trust of your hands. Amen. Uh, if you're here with me this morning and you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor and let me know? Uh, when you walked in this morning, you got a program. Simply tear out in the back of the program the card that's in it, fill out your information, check the appropriate boxes, and drop it off at, at a box at any of our campuses, at all the regionals. And if you're online, simply click what's next, and it will take you through your next steps. We would love to follow up with you and help you on this journey of following Jesus. And so you find yourself here today, um, you do trust in Jesus, you're following him, and you want to find a way out from fear. Maybe it's trivial, maybe it's been lifelong. Let me give you three things that I believe will help you. Three things that I believe we can all put to practice and begin the process of removing our fear from man and moving to a fear of God and trusting in him um, and being obedient to what he's asked us to do. The first thing is this, question your fear. Question your fear. And I even got some questions for you. Like, what exactly are you afraid of? And why are you afraid of that? Do you have a good reason for fear or the fear? I find that articulating it often, help expose, often helps expose the darkness of it. You know, I was standing like at this, this, uh, this as a, at a drawn line leaving my sidewalk to my neighbor's sidewalk. I had this choice to make, to clear their driveway or to not clear their driveway. And ultimately, I chose to do it. I did. And I want you to know that was the worst job I've ever done. I, I cleared that snow so fast. I mean, you would think someone was doing it blind. But I cleared it so fast because I was still kind of gripped with this fear of I need to get it done before they get home. So I did it really fast. I put my, my snowblower up and I immediately went inside and the first thing I did was question my fear. Like naturally began to question it. Like why was I so afraid? What was going on inside of me? And as I questioned and I processed and talked with my wife and talked to some friends, the responses I was getting from even friends was like, well, hey, you can come clean my driveway next. Like I, don't be afraid of me. But as I questioned it, I began to realize the darkness of my fear that, listen, this was just a trap to keep me from doing what God wanted me to do. So question your fear. The second thing is this, confess your fear. Confess your fear. Listen, and this is something that we don't do just one time. This is something we might need to do every day. Confess when we transfer our, our fear and our worry and our, we're consumed with what people think of us, our fear of man, we transfer from God to man. This is a confession that we need to do all the time. Confess to God. Let's say, hey, God, you know, I've placed my fear in the wrong hands. I've allowed men, my boss, my coworker, my spouse, a friend, I've allowed them to dictate who I am, to tell me my worth. I've allowed them to uh, tell me what I should or shouldn't do instead of looking to you, God, and asking what you want me to do. Confess. 
And when you do this, man, I, I truly believe this is the second part of just becoming real and understanding the clarity of, wow, God, like, I'm seeing it clear now. Confession helps kind of clear our mind and realize, listen, God, I wanna put myself back under your authority. I wanna be living life that you want me to live, not what others say. And the third thing is this. So, so confront your fear. Confront your fear. So we've got question your fear, confess your fear, confront your fear. In Acts 5.29, it says this. We must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. And see, obedience calls for courage. Courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear, but the resolve to obey despite what we feel. And often when we feel fear, when we feel the fear of man starting to set in, what if they won't like me? What if they think negatively of me? What if, I'm a, if I offend them? What if... They won't be my friend. If we step in, we see this. This could be the opportunity for, to, for us to exercise our trust in God by stepping out in obedience. This could be our opportunity to exercise our faith and trust and obedience by stepping out and saying, God, I'm going to choose to fear what you've asked me to do, not what man asked me to do. We must confront our fear. In Deuteronomy 31, it says this. As you confront your fears... Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Uh, in Isaiah 41.10, it goes on to say this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is asking us to confront the thing which is holding us back from being obedient. And for most of us, for a lot of us, myself, it's usually the fear of man. I wanna end our time together with a story. Um, a story where fear literally took over my life. But in this story of fear, what, what God gave me the ability to do is to see the outcome. In a matter of five minutes, I was able to see everything through completion. And though it didn't end the way I wanted it to, um, God allowed me the ability to remember this, and I'll never forget it. So uh, I'd been married to my wife, Jamie, for a year. And we lived in a, 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 a townhome, a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath townhome um, that we built. It was our first home that we, we got married and then moved into this house. And it was a wonderful home. We loved it. Um, but it was a good little, it was a, a decent commute from that house to my first uh, church ministry job. I was a student pastor. And uh, so every Wednesday, my, my day was, you know, very, very typical. Wednesday, I'd get up. Um, I get ready, I go downstairs, grab something to eat really quick, and then I take off on my commute um, to my job. And so this morning I came down, went in the pantry, and um, my wife, bless her heart, um, had bought this pack of, of, a variety pack of Pop-Tarts. And if you know me, you'll know this, that um, there is no such thing as a variety when it comes to Pop-Tarts. There's two kinds. There's brown sugar cinnamon and there's strawberry. Everything else is not of Jesus. Um, <laughs> and so I come downstairs, gonna grab a quick pack of Pop-Tarts and I realize what's left is apple cinnamon. Yuck. 
But I grab it anyways, I grab my pack of Pop-Tarts, I grab my bottle of water, I jump in my car and I throw them in the passenger seat, knowing in my heart and mind, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna eat those. Like, they're disgusting. But just in case I'm starving to death, I'll have them in case, you know? So I get in my car, I drive out of my neighborhood, hit the road, get on the highway, and my, my commute is literally the same every day. Um, I get off the highway on this, um, this road that kind of circles, we call it the loop in Atlanta, it's in Marietta. Um, if you've ever heard of the Big Chicken, it's this cool place, anyways. Um, it, this, this loop, it's like a little mini highway. Um, and so I get on this road, and then this one has an exit, and this exit that I have to get off every single day, I hit the red light that's at the intersection. And, it, I, and I get, my blood pressure goes up thinking about it now. I hit this red light every single day. It's never green, and, and listen, I've driven like 100 miles an hour trying to get through it to the green light. It never happens, it's a red light every day. And so my, my day is normal, I'm gonna hit this red light. I pull up and it's red, you know, I'm, I'm driving up to it. But there's one thing different in my commute this day. As I pull up to that red light, there's a man standing at the corner of this intersection, at this red light, and he's holding a cardboard sign. I can see him from the distance. And as I approach this man and his cardboard sign, it becomes more and more clear what he's written on the cardboard. Two small short sentences that are engraved in my brain. It says, I'm hungry, but he spelled hungry, H-U-N-G-Y. I'm, I'm hungry, please help. This man wasn't asking for money. He wasn't asking for a job. He was simply asking for food. I'm hungry. As I pulled up to that red light, this man sitting, I'm the first person in the red light. He's literally, he's two feet from my door. I spend what feels like the next 30 minutes trying my best out of fear to stay distracted. I can't look at him, because if I look at him, what if he thinks I'm gonna help him? What if, he, what if he, if I were to give him money, what if he were to use it for the wrong thing? Oh, what if I were to roll my window down and he were to attack me? I don't, I don't know. What if, what, if, what if he has bad intentions? Fear consumes me. I was completely bound by the anxiety of some outcome. I was slave to fear. And so I played with my radio, I shuffled papers around, I changed the air conditioning around, everything I could do to not look to my left until the light turned green. But in slow motion, as the light turns green, I catch a glimpse of a pack of Pop-Tarts sitting in my passenger seat. As I'm pulling off, I begin to realize those Pop-Tarts weren't for me that day. God in his ways knew that there was gonna be someone in my path that was gonna need something that I could provide. And he was giving me an opportunity to provide it. But because I was so entangled, because I was so enslaved to fear, I passed up the opportunity. I missed the opportunity. This happened in slow motion, I was so in the moment that as I pulled away, I realized what was supposed to happen. I immediately turned around, got back on this road, went down, made a U-turn and came back. But unfortunately, when I got back to that intersection, this man was gone. This was a pretty open intersection. I'm talking two minutes has passed. I drove up and down this road looking for this man so I could give him a pack of Pop-Tarts. But he wasn't there. You see, fear 
has the ability to slave us, to captivate our minds, to control our thoughts, to dictate our outcomes if we let it do that. And when it does, when it traps us, we will miss opportunities to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. And here's what I would ask of you, church. Let go of fear. Let go of it. What you fear, you will always obey. Move your fear to a trust in God. Acknowledge, listen, I'm a child of God. I'm to be obedient to him, no one else. I'm to do what he's asked me to do. In Proverbs it says, the fear of man lays a snare, it lays a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Here's what I'd ask you to do, church. I'd ask you to all stand with me. Not only here, but all of our campuses, if you would stand. And join me as we worship together and we sing a song that says this. Make this your prayer. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God.
we're worshiping with us. If you feel the need to pray with someone, our team will be down front to pray with you. Have a great week.